0: All right, the Stanley Cup is now upon us. The Rangers back in the cup for the first time in 20 years, the first time since they beat the Canucks in seven games at Madison Square Garden in the the 93 94 season. And it couldn't have been Timed better for John Kreiser of uh, NHL.com to with the release of his book, "The Wait Is Over: The New York Rangers and the 1994 Stanley Cup," which covers that magical season, the Rangers run uh, pretty much through the entire NHL that season, and then through the playoffs, and finally through the Canucks. And John talks uh, with me today about his book, uh, "The Wait Is Over: The New York Rangers and the 1994 Stanley Cup," which can be found on Amazon and also at your local Barnes and Noble. John, how's it going today?
1: Very good, very good. Neil, yourself?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for your time and you know, like I said in the open, I mean, you couldn't have time this better the 20th anniversary and here the Rangers are back in the finals.
1: Well, we didn't have any idea when we started the project that uh, we were going to get this fortunate, but uh, uh it is uh it is very fortunate. I know Ranger fans are uh glad that uh that it's been 20 uh that it's only been 20 years, but uh, it was funny because in talking to a lot of the guys for the book, they were has gone by since uh since they won the cup uh that night in June.
0: Well, you know, I picked up a lot of comparisons through the book, and, uh, you know, it's a great read, great interviews from uh, pretty much, you know, everyone top to bottom on the team. There, there's quotes from, whether it's the stars on the team or the role players on the team. Um, a lot of good stuff from Glenn Healy, who you uh, came over that season and played a big role as the backup to Mike Richter. And, you know, when you look at this team uh, this year and these Rangers this year, um, obviously built completely different than the Rangers back then because they sort of seemed to be um, in all-in mode from the moment that Neil Smith took over, a uh, right up until 94 and then after you know he sort of paid the price um like he mentions in the book for for going all in and for giving the rangers ownership at the time what they wanted not necessarily what rangers ownership down the road wanted but when you look at the team that the rangers have now it's sort of been a work in progress and something that they've had to build toward to get to this goal while back then it was sort of a team that they built on the fly and on the run and really really rebuilt at that trade deadline so you look at the difference of these two teams it's almost like two different stories but but as of right now going for the same result
1: uh it is. The uh you have to remember that when Neil Smith came on board in eighty nine, the Rangers were, were in rubble. Uh they had just gotten destroyed by Pittsburgh, just utterly embarrassed in the playoffs. Their minor league player development system was a mess. Uh they had a couple of good young players in, in Mike uh, Richter and Brian Leach, but uh they were still largely uh a team that had been they uh been uh filled and patched over the, the past few years. Uh uh, you know, you think of all oh, the Rangers have all these resources and they can do this and they can do that. But the only uh real free agent he got was Adam Graves and that was more more of a forced trade uh under the system that they had then that would let younger players move along. Uh this year's team uh has uh an interesting blend. I mean, their best player is their goaltender, obviously Henrik Lundqvist. They have three really solid defense, uh, defensemen, uh, and they have a good group of forwards, but there's no star. There's no Mark Messier. There's no 50 goal scorer like Adam Graves. Uh, Ryan McDonough, uh, might, you know, might be Brian Leach someday, but he's a little, a little earlier in his, uh, development than, uh, Leach was at that stage. Uh, and you're right, Neil Smith was told by, uh, by the, uh, owners of uh, Madison Square Garden at the time, uh, to go out and do whatever they had, whatever he had to do to win a cup. And in Neil's case, that meant uh, trading a lot of guys at the trade deadline, and, uh, including a couple of players, of course, who went on to be very, fi- very fine players. Uh, Tony Abbasi scored 400 goals. Mike Gartner was a, was a Hall of Famer who still had several productive years left. But, uh, you know, uh, there's an old uh, idiom that, uh, you know, championships live forever. And, uh, in the Rangers case, they do live forever. You could, you know, I don't think any Ranger fan would, uh, trade, uh, you know, a few more years of making the playoffs for that banner that floats, uh, in the breeze of the garden every night.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing about the Neil Smith stuff from the book, aside from, you know, the moves he made and going in depth, of why he made them and how he made them, talking with Mike Keenan, was the fact that he talks about, you know, how he did pay the price because of the turnover on the team and because they became such an old team so quickly they had to go to rebuilding mode, and and he ended up uh, losing his job over it, and he couldn't explain it to the owners then. And he mentions how, uh, you know, ownership changed hands a few times during his tenure and, you know, what's, what's going on in the sports world today with the value of these franchises, franchises, uh, not only in the NHL, but you look at what's happened in the NBA and it's sort of amazing that, uh, a major sports team in North America can, could change hands so many times so quickly. Um, you know, given how, how wealthy and, and, and how well the finances are doing nowadays.
1: Yes, although with the, with the Rangers, you have to remember that they're, you know, they're part of, they've always been part of an entity, part of Madison square garden, whether you no know, matter who owned the garden, they own, you know, the Rangers were part of the deal along with the Knicks and the building and, uh, any other teams that they happen to own. So they, uh, the Rangers, in that sense, were in kind of a unique situation because they were, they were a package deal. And uh, it did, uh, over the years, uh, develop that, uh, that the team was sold. The whole package was sold a couple of times. And, of course, now it's been with Cablevision uh, on Long Island for a number of years. Uh, but, and Neil did pay a price because the, uh, the guy that, uh, that gave him the order to uh, do what you need to win uh, wasn't around a couple of years later when the team needed to be rebuilt, and that's you know that's a hazard that every general manager uh, and top executive has. And and Neil admitted he paid the price, but uh, you know he's still the uh, the only guy in my lifetime who's built a uh, Stanley Cup winner in New York City. <laughs> Well, to get to some
0: of the things that I picked up from the book, um, the first being uh, in February, the the chapter about the dog days and how the Rangers, a snowstorm, forced them to take a bus from the practice facility in Ryan, New York, to Montreal to play a game. And it just seems, you know, unfathomable that I mean, granted, back then, 20 years ago, things were way different than they are in 2014. But nowadays, to think of um, an NHL team or any major sports team getting on a bus and traveling, whatever that is, six, eight, eight hours to play a game just doesn't even seem reasonable.
1: Well, yeah, it does seem kind of odd these days, and I don't know if they would have, but, uh, yeah, you know, we think of, you know, you you think of 94 as, oh, it's not that long ago, but, uh, you know, sports years are not like regular years, Uh, you know, they're more like dog years, they go back, they, (laughs) uh, they bunch together really quickly. (laughs) <laughs>
0: well the other thing I think I think the biggest part uh, was the trade deadline and I think that you know changed the Rangers um, which is odd because of you know they were the best team in the NHL and here they are making so many moves and nowadays with the trade deadline you know teams maybe pick up a guy uh, most teams will stand pat maybe move some draft picks or or maybe some guys from the AHL but you rarely see what the Rangers did that season and they basically turned their roster over on the fly and with how late the trade deadline left there was only 12 games in the season and here they are the best team in the entire league, uh, you know, switching things up so drastically that, you know, and, and, and pretty much we'll get to it, but getting rid of
1: superstars along the way. Well, they got rid of some some really good players, but uh, you have to remember that, that uh, Mike Keenan had guys that he really liked, and he had guys he didn't like, and he uh, he had pushed all year uh, to get Stephon Matteau in particular. He loved Matteau because he'd had him in Chicago. Uh, Matteau was a big winger, uh, and, and Keenan has always loved big guys. Uh, he had some skill. He wasn't going to be a 30-goal scorer, but he could score. And uh, he wanted him. And, uh, you know, you, you read the part about Neil Smith saying, uh, you know, what, you know, Keenan was on him all year, and he wanted, to, he wanted to trade. He would have traded Alexei Kovalev, who was a terrific player for a long time, you know, pretty much straight up for uh, for Stefan Matteau. And, and uh, Neil had to kind of calm him down and say, okay, we'll get him, we'll get him, but we're not going to give up, you know, everything in creation. And he made, you know, he gave up a lot. Uh, he gave up a guy who scored 400 goals, uh, but it was somebody Keenan didn't like. Um, and it worked for that spring. Uh, Matteau scored two of the most famous goals in Ranger history, including the, the Game 7 winner, uh, which in- interestingly was the, uh, the last time uh, before Sunday night uh, that anybody had scored a Game 7 overtime winner in a conference final was Matteau's goal. Uh, but he brought in Matteau and he uh, he added some other pieces. Uh, he had a Glenn Anderson at the expense of Mike Gardner, who was another non favorite for Keenan. uh neil Neil Smith liked Oilers because he liked guys with championship resumes uh If you go near the start of the book and and Neil talks about uh when he came in and the one thing he wanted to do was change the culture and that 's very difficult in any sports franchise uh but one way you do it is you get guys who are used to winning and that uh that 1994 it one with seven Edmonton Oilers on it and uh, had enough uh, Stanley Cup rings to uh, fill a jewelry shop.
0: Well, you mentioned the beginning of the book and uh, changing the culture, and it seemed like, uh, you know, when he got there, he, he did change the culture, change the team around for those eight seasons, and uh, he he's mentioned that, you know, Guys on the team were sort of complacent with getting to the first or second round in the playoffs, and if they lost, you know, it was sort of like, so be it, at least we made the playoffs, at least we made the first or second round. And before, you know, this year, I know going back two years ago, the Rangers did make the Eastern Conference Finals with their, you know, sort of miraculous w- uh, run with the way they won in the regular season and the playoffs. But it sort of seemed like the Rangers um, in the post-lockout era almost sort of became that that, that Neil Smith uh, early on team, and the fact that they'd get to the first or second round, and that's all they'd get um, up until this year, when they finally got the breaks against the Penguins.
1: Well, you have to remember that uh, after 1997, they made they made it to the semifinals in 1997, and then they didn't make the, the playoffs again until after the uh, 0-4-0-5 lockout uh, when the salary cap came in. And yes, after that, they uh, you know they didn't have a whole lot of success. They might win around, they might not, and it's it's very hard, guys. You know, guys get used to a certain level, and, and uh, when you haven't made the playoffs for a long time, just making the playoffs is an accomplishment and you have to kind of get guys used to setting their sights higher. And that's what Neil was after, for example, when he brought in Mark Messier, because Messier was not going to, that's, you know, let's, if we went around, that's an okay season stuff. That wasn't going to fly when you've got five Stanley cup rings.
0: And, uh, the other thing I think with, uh, with, with Gardner and obviously trading him and the fact that he'd had nine forty goal seasons to that point, which, uh, isn't going to happen in today's NHL. You know, maybe maybe there's one or two guys. Maybe if Stamkos could stay healthy, or o- Ovechkin. You know, can, can put it together consistently. Uh, but for back then, you know, that was more regular. Maybe not so regular that everyone was doing it. But goal scoring was up back then. Obviously, goals against averages were up as well. And uh, you mentioned in the book that you know he had 40 goals nine times, but only 30 goals in uh in 81 playoff games to that point and that was sort of a letdown and when you compare that to guys nowadays i mean 30 goals in 81 playoff games is essentially a full regular season and uh you know with guys like superstars like rick nash and only scoring two goals in these playoffs i mean 30 goals to, to sort of be a letdown is sort of uh it's sort of odd to hear
1: yeah it does seem like a letdown but uh you're right you have to remember that the 1994 was was the tail end of the uh the biggest offensive era the uh the league had ever seen uh in fact, I I can remember that uh, when because it was also close to the tail end of, of a big expansion boom, and some of the teams that were coming in weren't very good. Uh, they hadn't necessarily been given a lot of time to organize, and they didn't get a they didn't get a really good uh, a good group of uh, uh, people out of the expansion draft, except uh, for a couple of goaltenders and. Uh, it was very tough, and you had uh, this, the early Ottawa Senators, for example, were were terrible, and they. Uh, it was very. Uh, there was a lot of people wondering at the time, for example, if, if Brett Hull, who was a big scorer at the time, or Mario Lemieux might get a hundred goals because they were they were going to have a number of games against very weak teams, and of course, what happened after the the uh, the '94 lockout when play resumed in '95, and uh, we began. Uh, An era where everybody started playing defense because uh, one reason was that uh, the caliber of goaltending started to get so much better. Goaltending equipment, goaltender coaching started to get better. And uh, a lot of guys found it was easier to coach defense than offense because you didn't have to have a lot of talent that started to play defense. You needed effort and you needed goaltending, but you didn't need Wayne Gretzky to play defense.
0: Well, with all the criticism Glenn Saylor's taken since he came to the Rangers, and now you know finally has this team in the Stanley Cup final for the first time since taking over in two thousand, um, it, it sort of goes you know obviously before this season it would make more sense. But in the book, uh, with the trade when Neil Smith wanted Craig McTavish for pretty much that entire season, he couldn't get him, and uh, finally at the deadline, uh, Saylor sort of agreed to give him, and he uh, and Neil Smith told him he give him Todd say um, Saylor you know thought about it, called back, and says okay, and he ends up getting. A different guy than he thought he was. He thought he's getting his brother, and it wasn't until he he came to him and was five foot eight and not six foot one that they realized it. And it just seems—I mean, maybe this goes on, you know, more so behind the scenes, and people even realize, uh, you know, guys' player evaluation. But it just seems kind of funny to think that you know you could get the wrong player in such an important deal at the trade deadline, and not even know who you're getting.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Neil, I, I mentioned Neil had told, told me that he wanted uh, he wanted. Uh, McTavish for probably since Christmas because for all their skill the Rangers really were a, something of a donut team. Uh, they had Mark Messier, but they really didn't have a whole lot of a lot after him uh, down the middle. And he wanted uh, a player who could win faceoffs and score some goals, but uh, basically would play faceoffs and uh, at the, the crunch time at the biggest times uh, and play some defense. He bothered him and bothered him and finally. Uh, the Oilers, of course, had uh, sunk to the uh, the bottom of the west, and Saylor finally said, "Okay, I'll trade you." Uh, the funny thing was that McCavish was th- thought that he was going to go to uh, Detroit uh, I talked to I talked to Craig when he came in with the oilers early in the season, and he said, uh, you know I thought I, I, I thought I wanted to go to Detroit and I thought I was going to go to Detroit because uh, they were they were a big contender too, and uh, Glenn fooled me and went to, I went to the Rangers and of course. Base off in Rangers history with uh one point eight seconds ago and he won it put it in the corner and everybody started celebrating.
0: <laughs> and you know, I I was only uh I was only seven years old, uh, going on eight that year when they won the Stanley cup. So, you know, to me, the memories aren't as vivid as people who were there and, you know, guys who covered the game. And, you know, for that face off after what happened in the devil series in game seven, I mean, how, how, <laughs> I mean, how tense was the atmosphere knowing that, yeah, there's only one seconds left, but after what just happened in the previous round, you know, well, something crazy could happen. You
1: know, you talk to guys and, uh, yeah, you know, I talked to to Neil. I talked to remember talking to Glenn Healy about it, and then they were there was so little time left. Little Neil Smith told me he still can't believe Kevin Collins called icing, <laughs> uh, and brought the puck back for one more draw. Uh, Glenn Healy said that uh, he was sure that uh, he was sure that uh, McTavish was going to win it because he because McTavish would uh, would just run the guy uh, right into the boards if he had to and uh you know, it's uh, it's almost impossible to score in, in the NHL with that kind of time left. And sure enough, uh, but McTavish did actually win the draw back into the corner and then off went the uh, fireworks and the celebration.
0: <laughs> and you know what's weird about that season is for how good of a career Eddie Olczyk had, he barely played any role on this team, uh, barely played in the playoffs at all. And it seemed like, you know, Keenan, I don't know, I, I mean, you were on the team, obviously. Why Why did he have it out for him and why didn't he have a bigger role with the 94 Rangers?
1: I don't think I, I talked to Eddie I probably had a half hour with Eddie, uh of course is NBC's lead analyst now. And I don't think Eddie even knows why uh why Keenan didn't like him. But Keenan didn't like him. Uh you know, he played him sparingly throughout the season and then he broke his and really mashed up his film right after the All Star break by the time he was healthy again had come and gone and and uh Eddie was a spare party, the black ace. The funny thing was he he played one game in the playoffs. He played the Messier guarantee game, and uh, Eddie. Eddie says he goes to the to the morning skate in the Meadowlands that day, and Keenan comes up to him uh, and uh, says, "What's the most goals you've scored in a season?" it was a five times thirty goal score. He had forty two (laughs) goals one year. Okay, Uh, he could score, and uh, Eddie said he looking at Keenan like, is this a trick question? You know, doesn't that guy read a media guy? And he scored, uh, 30 goals each of the last five years. I had 42 goals a couple of years ago. And so Keenan looks at him and, uh, shakes his head and says, uh, you know, the guys love you. The guys trust you. I trust you. Uh, you're in it tonight. <laughs> and, uh, so he played and, you know, played pretty well. And, uh, but that, but, uh, a couple of guys got uh, healthier and, uh, that was all the action he saw. But he was very important to that team uh, in a leadership role and keeping the locker room, keeping the dressing room, uh, you know, loose. Well, it's funny word. because I,
0: I actually had written down that story in my notes to to ask you about that story. And it seems like, you know, is Keenan just being, you know, a hard-ass coach there and sort of a jerk? Or or is he really asking Eddie Olchik how many goals he scored?
1: I have no idea. I don't think Eddie has any idea. <laughs> uh but, uh, you know, but it was one game, and uh, and that's, that's what he got in the playoffs. And uh, it's funny because he, Eddie told me, he, you know, he's been around the Blackhawks for their two Stanley Cup wins. Uh, he told me he'd, he'd match up that Ranger team with any team he's seen since then
0: going back and you look at the record and you had you know the record through um, the date of the season as the book goes on and on and it's sort of amazing especially that that run they went on with Richters and beaten streak I mean they were just demolishing the NHL and to think uh, you know I, I looked at the at this season's NHL standings just to compare and the Bruins ended up with a better season than they did this year just to goes to show you know how good the Boston Bruins were this season this year during the regular season but come playoff time it's a different animal as the Bruins know from a few years ago but I mean that Rangers was well run, especially uh early on after that bad start was just remarkable.
1: Yeah, the Rangers got off a slow start that last that year, but that's not surprising. A lot of times it will take twenty it can take 20, 30, 40 games for a new coach and a team to uh to kind of feel each other out. And it took the Rangers about a month and then they took off. Uh yeah. One thing was that uh Mike Keenan loved his number one goaltender. He'd ride that number one goaltender as long as he could and he had decided that Richter was going to be his guy. They let John Van work they traded him actually because they were going to lose him in the expansion draft and uh, picked up Glenn Healy as, as his backup. Uh, but he, uh, that was the first time Richter had been the undisputed number one goaltender. And of course he had one of the great seasons in Ranger history. He had only won 42 games, and then he won them a Stanley cup. Uh, but that was, uh, that was Keenan's philosophy. He, you know, he had done it with Eddie Belfort in Chicago Uh he would ride the hot goaltender and he did
0: well the thing with keenan i feel like it's either it seems like people are split on him even going back to when they won i mean yes he was the head coach of the the only rangers team to win since 1940 but it seemed like he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way um you know he came here then, then wanted to leave for a general general manager job and he did so and uh you know and, and went on through and on on and on throughout his career um it just seemed like he was you know that that hard-nosed type of coach um and you know you hear stories about the way he treated the players and he and while people will say he did get the best out of the guys like especially brian leach there was a point in time and i remember seeing in a in a 94 range documentary where he had uh, cut his playing time and you mentioned it in the book um, in a playoff game and I think Messier even had to go say to him you know this is the team we need to win with these guys you know you, you need to stop fooling around and sort of screw with people's yeah. heads and you know, I feel like Keenan was always yeah, like he, that uh, throughout his career
1: yeah well that's why you know that's why you have Mark Messier and one of the big things maybe the biggest thing with Keenan's year of success in New York was that uh, for, you know, for the vast majority of the season he and uh, Messier were on the same page they had had uh, experience working together with uh, for Team Canada in international play, and if, if Messier hadn't bought into Keenan, it wouldn't have worked. But uh, you know, but they were they were on the pretty much on the same page all season long, and uh, the results showed themselves.
0: With Messier, uh, and obviously the guarantee uh, before Game Six, the Eastern Conference Finals, it. Uh, everyone knows the way the back pages work in New York. You know, it doesn't take much for them to make a headline out of it, take something out of context. And it almost seems like, you know, he wasn't standing in the middle of the locker room preaching, um, we will win tonight. It was sort of like, yeah, we're going to win tonight. We have to win tonight. And it became this huge guarantee. And then obviously he follows it up with the hat trick. But um, at the time he talked in the locker room, you know, was it just something that he was sort of throughout there? Like, yeah, we have to win because our season's on the line. And then it got blown out of proportion.
1: Well, he, you know, he, he didn't realize that he had guaranteed, you know, he'd done a Joe Nema type guarantee. He said he was trying to make sure that his guy, you know, his players knew that, uh, that they could do this because they were really down after they had, they had lost game five in the Garden of the Devils and they were looking at their season. This wonderful season, they finished first for the second time in three years and now they're 60 minutes away from not even making the Stanley Cup final. And, uh, but of course, the, uh, you know, unlike the Joe Namath thing, uh, 25 years earlier, uh, there were a little more media around then, and uh, it was uh, you know it quickly took on a life of its own. And of course, the amazing thing was that he not only uh, backed it up, but he almost single-handedly, well, offensively, he single-handedly won the game. Although it's he and and several other guys uh, note in the book that the reason they had that Matthew had a chance to be the hero was Mike Richter, who just stood on his head for two periods.
0: And when you look at now uh, where these Rangers are this year, about to play the Kings in the Stanley Cup final, and it doesn't seem like they really have that Messier-like figure. I mean, maybe Callahan was it before he decided to uh, you know play himself out of town by asking for a ridiculous amount of money, but um, it just seems like a, a, a group, a cohesive unit of, you know, they do have their stars and guys like Nash and Lundqvist and St. Louis, but there's not that one guy that really truly stands out. Do you feel like there's that
1: figure on this team? No, this uh, this is a different team. This is a team is put together differently. It kind of came together differently. Nobody expected big things out of this team. Uh, the 94 team still had the core of a team that had uh, won the President's Trophy two years earlier. Uh, and nobody expected much on this team. And they, they got off to the bad start, largely because of the, the long road trip, because they were redoing the Garden. And... Uh, you know they came together a little more and a little more, and uh, they put some pieces here and some pieces here. and Elaine Vigneault has done a tremendous job coaching this team, and uh, you know you have one of the three or four best goaltenders in in the world, and you have good speed. Uh, you have a coach who who, fits, who took a while but got his system to work with the players that he had, and. You have a trip to the Stanley Cup final.
0: Well, you look at where the Rangers were last year—you uh, know, getting embarrassed by the Bruins in the second round, a series that many people picked the Rangers to win. Um, and Tortorella gets fired for it and uh, for losing the locker room, basically losing his players. And he's now watching his team, you know, play uh, in the Stanley Cup final with guys that he coached in Tampa Bay and Richards in St. Louis, playing for the team uh, that he could have been coaching had he not got fired. And on the other side of this thing is Marian Gabrick, who you know, basically, I-, I feel like got traded because of. Tort- because he tried to turn Gabrick into something he wasn't and a grinder and a shot-blocking guy who'd you know, muck it up in the corners uh, to the point right. that Gabrick was the one guy he'd always turn to to bench if things weren't going right. And now Tortorella has to sit back and watch this. And you, you have to well, wonder, you know, do you think he'll get another chance in this league to be a head coach? Oh,
1: it's, at some point he will. It might not be next year. But uh, you know, the man has the Stanley Cup on his resume. Uh, he's had solid success. Uh, Vancouver was not a good fit for him. Uh, he might need to take a year and and regroup. He looked very drained by the end of the year. If you want, I see a lot of games. Uh, and, uh, he looked very drained by the end of the year. He probably, he may want to take a year off. He's got money coming for four more years. And, uh, but he's, uh, you know, he, guys get burned out. He looked like he was a little burned out by the end, but he will, he will be back and, uh, he will be, uh, he'll be successful. He was, uh, you know, he has a cup on his resume. He had some fine years in New York. Um, this just didn't work out for him.
0: And the other big thing, uh, the other big change with the Rangers, obviously the trade of Callahan for Saint Louis, and which I guess is sort of comparable to their Gartner deal. Um, and, uh, you know, with with Callahan going into last, uh, going into this offseason last summer, um, starting his negotiations at a reported uh, eight-year, $60 million, which is just obscene, um, you know, for third-line talent, and he never really came off that number. And, and Saylor, you know, tried to meet him in the middle, sort of, almost compromised to the point that if Callahan yeah. had signed it, their salary cap issues would uh, be pretty screwed for the foreseeable future. And luckily they didn't, and they get St. Louis in the process. And, you know, there are still people who are upset about the deal, And, you know, Callahan was a great Ranger. Uh, He he, was maybe more than what people thought he was because he had the C on his jersey. But if they don't get Marty St. Louis, and and if they don't get him, they would have got a lesser package from someone else because they had to move him. But if they don't get Marty St. Louis, I mean, the Rangers wouldn't be where they are right now.
1: They would not be. They would not be in the final. You know, and and it cost. And they they also cost up two number one draft picks. But, uh, you know, but like I said before, championships fly forever. Uh, if you can, you know, getting this far, this is further than they've gotten in 20 years. And uh, in fact, I have to go back and <laughs> finish, uh, finish up editing now on, uh, on all the media day stuff out in LA, but they uh, championships do fly forever. And uh, trips to the Stanley cup final don't come along very often. Uh, you know, just ask any Ranger fan twenty and 20 years now. So it's, you know, um, uh, it may cost them a price down the road, but uh, but it got them to the final, and that automatically makes a good trade.
0: Well, on that note, you know, with championships uh, ships fly forever. And in the book, Keenan showed the uh, the Rangers the 1986 Mets World Series parade before the season. And when I first read that, I was like, why did he choose the Mets? You know, why did he choose the Yankees? But to that point, they hadn't won since going back to 78. And now since the Rangers yep. have won, we've seen five Yankees parades, uh, two, New- two New York Giants parades. Um, and that's it. And there hasn't been a Rangers one since. And, and for as big as those parades are, if you attend them, you know, for as many people as show up, uh, the city sort of has a different Feel when the Rangers are in, it. and you can feel it the last few weeks ever since they came back against the Penguins. Uh, more and more Rangers, you know, apparel, hats, jerseys are popping up around the streets of Manhattan. And I feel like if they can get the job done against the Kings, maybe this parade, you know, gets as big as the one did 20 years ago.
1: Well, yeah, it'll be if they can, uh, if they can win four more games, it'll be, uh, it'll be awfully big. You know, New York hasn't had a, you know, we haven't had hockey champion in a long time. Madison Square Garden hasn't had a, a championship in, in a long time. And uh, Rangers, nobody is uh, nobody. No fans are as fervent as Ranger fans. Uh, they uh, they are you know they're just dying to see another cup.
0: All right. The book is the wait is over. The New York Rangers the 1994 Stanley Cup available on Amazon and at your local bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble. John, thanks for joining me today. Hopefully, we get a great final, and uh, hopefully, the championships fly uh, forever, and we get a parade in New York in a few weeks.
1: <laughs> well, that'd be fun. Thanks very much for
0: having me, Neil.